doctor. You know, years ago, who remembers the Merv Griffin show? More than I thought, praise the Lord. Well, years ago, on the Merv Griffin show, Merv had a guest that was on his show who was a bodybuilder. And in the interview, Merv asked the bodybuilder, he said, why do you develop all those muscles? Well, the bodybuilder simply stepped forward and he flexed his chest and he flexed his calves and his muscles bulged from place to place and the audience went crazy and applauded wildly. But then Merv said, but why do you develop all those muscles? How are you going to use all those muscles? Well, again, the bodybuilder stepped forward and he flexed his biceps and he flexed his triceps and the crowd went wild. Ooh, ah. Well, Merv just said again, he said, but what do you use those muscles for? And the bodybuilder kind of scratched his head and he confessed and he said, well, I guess they're just for show. When we consider knowing God, when we consider having a relationship with God, is it just for show? When you consider knowing God, there's one question that should come to your mind, and that is this. What good are we? What good are we to our worthy, holy, faithful, unchanging, powerful, and good Heavenly Father? What value are we for Him in the world that we live in? I want to stipulate this before I go any further. You and I have been created to be used by God. God has given you a skill set. He has given you some talents. He's given you some abilities and some spiritual gifts that God wants to use for His glory. How do you know, Bill? Well, listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 43, 7, God said, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, God said, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Friend, you were created, made, and gifted. For God's glory. But today, Jesus addresses what might be a bigger question. And that is, okay, if I've been created to be used for God's glory, how does that happen? How am I used by God? How do I go about using my spiritual muscles? How do I use all these talents and this skill set that God has given me? Well, today in Mark chapter 10, Jesus gives us the answer. And if you'll follow along with me, beginning in verse 35, Mark says, beginning there in 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? 
They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. In other words, in heaven. When you get there, Jesus, one of us wants to be on your right hand, the other on your left. But Jesus said to the boys, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized with? In other words, are you able to endure all the suffering that I'm getting ready to endure? And listen to what those boys said. In verse 39, they said to Jesus, we are able. And so Jesus said to them, Oh, you will indeed drink the cup that I will drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And then when the ten other apostles heard it, the Bible says they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them all to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the non-Jews, over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They use their power over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But Jesus said, yet it shall not be so among you. You're to be different. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first of all shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, the only begotten Son of God, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Jesus came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So we see there that the Lord's disciples wanted to be important. They wanted to know how to be valuable to the Lord. But they misunderstood what that meant. Because you see, being used by God is not about who you are. Being used by God is not about who you are. The disciples thought it was. They thought being used by God, being valuable to Christ, was because of who they were. They thought, if only I could be important then maybe I could be used by God. If only I could have a position of power, then I could be used by God. If only I was talented enough, then I could be used by God. But we have found throughout scriptures that God uses unlikely people in unlikely places to do extraordinary things. And so Jesus taught them that being used by God isn't about who you are. Being used by God is not about how powerful or talented you are or about how important you are. 
Jesus told these disciples, those who are closest to him, that if they were to be used by God, they had to learn to serve others. In fact, often in the Bible, God deliberately does not choose the powerful. In the Bible, God deliberately often does not choose the strong. He does not choose the influential to do His will. Just listen to this unflattering list of people that God used. Everybody know Moses, right? Well, Moses stuttered in his speech. David, King David, his armor didn't fit. The prophet Hosea had a wife who was a prostitute. Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel, was a liar, deceitful. King David had an affair. His son Solomon was too rich. Abraham, the father of our faith, he was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death, but get this, Lazarus was dead and was still used by God. Jesus was too poor. Naomi was a widow. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Both Paul and Moses both were murderers. The prophet Jonah ran from God. Gideon and Thomas were, were both doubters. The prophet Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. The prophet Jeremiah was burned out. Martha was a worry wart. We got any worry warts in here? The judge Samson had long hair. He was a hippie. And Noah, of all people, Noah got drunk. God still used all those people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And God has chosen the base things, the lowly things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things which are. And then the next verse tells us why. In verse 29, the Bible says that no flesh should glory in the presence of God. In the flesh, we don't have what it takes to honor God and bring Him glory. Being used by God is not about who you are. Being used by God is about being a servant. Being used by God is about being a servant. That's your next point. Being used by God depends on how open you are to serving other people. To Jesus, being a servant was more important than being a superstar. When Jesus chose his disciples, they were not the pick of the litter. When Jesus chose his apostles, they were not the cream of the crop. 
They were simply men who Jesus knew he could use to establish his kingdom. The problem for the boys was, is they didn't think that Jesus wanted to use a lowly fisherman. They didn't think that Jesus wanted to use a common laborer. They didn't think that Jesus would want to use a hated tax collector. They thought that they would have to be men of positions of power. That they would have to be important. But Jesus only wanted to use the ones who were willing to serve others. Willing to serve others. How open are you in your willingness to serve others? So being used by God is not about who you are. Being used by God is about being a servant. So what type of person, what type of person is used by God? What type of people fit the bill for God to use? What kind of person does God want to use? Can I tell you that Jesus uses people who are humble enough to serve? You see, sometimes serving means you got to get your hands dirty. Sometimes serving means you have to get into situations that really you don't want to get into. You have to be humble enough and willing enough to serve for someone else's sake. Years back, a man named John Brody was the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. However, he wasn't being used as a quarterback. He was being used by the team to hold the ball to kick field goals. Well, a sports journalist asked him, why is a multi-million dollar player like you holding the football for field goals? And Brody looked at that journalist and said, well, if I didn't hold it, it would fall over. See, Brody understood the value of being there for the team, no matter what. Brody understood that doing what needed to be done was important so that the whole team could win. That's the type of person that Jesus is looking for. That's the kind of person that Jesus wants to use is that kind of servant. So how do we hold the ball, so to speak? Well, he said it so much in verse 42. He called the boys together to himself, and he said, you know, you look at the world. You know, we consider rulers over the Gentiles, and they use their power to lord it over them. And those that are great, they exercise authority over the other people. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first, he shall be slave of all. For even the greatest, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says that we hold the ball by becoming a servant to other people. 
And our Lord calls his followers to be servants in many different ways. For instance, he calls husbands and wives to serve one another. The Lord calls Christians to serve in the body of Christ, to serve one another. But Jesus calls every single one of us to greatness. He wants every single one of us to be the kind of servants that he can use. So what does that take? How is that done? Well, he, Jesus says so much in uh, Matthew chapter 18. And this is familiar scripture. Listen to what Matthew said. In chapter 18, verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then's the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then, listen to this, Jesus called a little child. He called a little child to him. He set the child in the midst of all the apostles. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Humbling ourselves to serve can occur in a variety of different places. Humbling ourselves to serve, it can occur when you prepare and serve and clean up after a meal following a funeral. Humbling yourself to serve can occur. It does occur regularly, weekly, over there in children's church. Humbling ourselves to serve occurs every Sunday morning right down the hall in the nursery. Humbling ourselves to serve occurs when someone new comes to the church and they come here throughout the week and they do what's way beyond the call of duty and nobody even hears about it. Humbling ourselves to serve can also happen in a very simple way, like regular attendance at worship. Friend, do you realize that not only is your regular attendance an incredible encouragement to me, but your regular attendance also says something to unchurched people. What does, the, what does your regular attendance say to visitors, unchurched people? It says, oh my goodness, this place is packed. This place is packed with worshipers. Whoa, that says something. Whoa, something significant is really happening here. Man. 
Christianity must really mean something to those folks. But you know, you're also humbly serving. And you go out of your way to introduce yourself to a newcomer. You don't recognize them, so you just go up to them immediately and you shake their hand and just tell them, just glad you're here today. Make them feel welcome. Create an atmosphere that will encourage them to want to belong here. You know, the number one comment that I get from visitors about the Bethel Baptist family is I came to Bethel and I felt like I was family. Man, do I love that. See, when we serve in any of those areas, friend, you're really serving Jesus. You're really serving Jesus, our Lord. So we've learned that being, served, being used by God is not about who you are. It's about being a servant. We've learned uh, how important it is. But what's the key? What is the key to being used by God? The key to being used by God is being there. Being there. Newsweek magazine ran an article some years back about street gangs. And in that article, they told the story of a preacher who was trying to reach out to others, the children especially, for Christ in the inner city. And when that pastor moved into the neighborhood, the first thing the preacher did was he looked for the local drug dealer. Not to buy drugs. No. He wanted to ask that drug dealer how he had had such an incredible impact in dragging people into his lifestyle. Well, the drug dealer gave that preacher a lesson on why it seemed that God was losing the battle for the inner city youth. And here's what he said. He said, I'm there when little Johnny goes out for a loaf of bread for his mama. I'm there when Johnny goes out to play. I'm there when Johnny gets out of school. I'm there. You're not. I win. You lose. It's all about being there. As a Christian, do you understand the concept of being there? Do you understand the importance of you being there? Do you understand the value of being there? Do you understand that if you know someone who doesn't know Jesus, you should want to be there to tell them about Jesus? When one of us is at the hospital, we should want to be there. If someone is sick or recovering, we should want to be there and remind them that we're praying for them. If someone is homebound, can't come to church, we should want to visit every now and then and remind them that we want to be there for them. See, servanthood being great
wait in the kingdom of heaven is all about being there. The Bible says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. He wants you to serve others and the key is being there for others. So don't be deceived into being some spiritually muscle-bound creation that has no idea what to do with the gifts you've been given. Don't think for a second that you've been given all those talents and abilities for show. Don't be deceived into believing that you've got to have more power. That you have to have more ability. That you've got to be more important than what you are. Because you're called to be Christ's minister. You're called to be God's servant. Listen to me. Just the way you are. Just the way you are. Years ago, in a church prayer meeting, there was this faithful old Christian who always used the same phrase when he prayed. He would say, Oh Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. Well, one night he was leading in prayer and once again, he used that phrase, Oh Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. But then he abruptly stopped his prayer. And thinking that he was sick, one of his church member friends came up and said, Are you okay? He said, No, I'm not sick. He said, It was just like a voice audibly said to me, You are my finger. Like it or not, if you're a Christian, you are God's finger. You are God's finger. And as the Lord's children, as fingers on the Lord's hand, we should desire to be used by the hand of God. We want to bring him glory. We know that's why we're created. To be the Lord's finger. To make a difference for the glory of God. Being used by the hand of the Father is perhaps the greatest thing that can be said about Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus submitted to his Father's will. He allowed himself to be used by the hand of the Father as a sacrificial lamb who would redeem sinful men and women like you and I. And friends, this sacrifice would not be a quick death. In fact, this sacrifice would be downright brutal. Because a sacrifice for sin has got to be costly. And Jesus' sacrifice was very costly. It's not costly to the recipient, mind you, but it sure is very costly to the lamb who gave himself as a ransom for undeserving people like you and I. You see, a sacrifice for sin 
has got to be covered in blood. And the only way you're getting blood is if you break the body. And that, my friend, is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. His body was broken so that his blood would cover the sins of many. In Luke 22 and verse 14, Luke tells us how it went down one evening at the dinner table. And Luke said, when Jesus' hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles were with him. And Jesus said to them, it is with fervent desire that I desire to eat this Passover meal with you, listen to me, before I suffer. Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. And he said, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is my last meal, y'all. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Here as Jesus was instituting the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, he provided a gift for me and you. It was an interactive opportunity for you and I to always remember the way that Jesus saved us from sin. It would be an interactive way to show us how we should remember the way that Jesus was used by the Father to save us from the dreadful penalty of sin. And he used two simple little items. Items that the apostles would likely use every day. Bread, And he explained briefly what each one of those symbolized. Friend, there should be one of these cups in front of you. If you would, open the bottom first. And in the bottom, you'll find a little wafer of unleavened bread. If you would, get that out and just hold it up when you're done so that I can see that everybody's with me. Everybody got it? In verse 19 of chapter 22, Luke says, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brother Hal is going to pray over the bread, and then we'll partake. Brother Hal? Jesus? of the universe mm. and came to earth as a humble servant Lord to give his body for us to God as we take this this symbol of your body to God help us to always remember what you did for us and what you did so that we can have life and have it more abundantly yes. I'll give you the praise for it in the name of Jesus we pray Amen If you would, carefully flip that over and just open up the, the juice. Just kind of hold it up so I can see when you're with me. Everybody together? Good deal. In verse 20, 
Luke says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new promise of God in my blood, which is shed for you. Brother Kevin's going to pray over this cup and give thanks for the blood of Christ. Friends, just as Jesus was there for us in our greatest time of need, you and I need to be there too. Just as Jesus was there for us, we need to be there for our children. Somebody say amen. Just as Jesus was there in our greatest time of need, you and I need to be there for the lost in our community. Somebody say amen. Just as Jesus was there in our greatest time of need, you and I need to be there for those who are in need in our church family and in our community. Somebody say amen. Because if we're not, if we're not there, then I assure you the world will be. If we're not there for our kids, the world will be there. And we will have missed our golden opportunity to be used by the hand of God for his glory. This morning, we always provide an, a unique opportunity for you to declare your faith in Christ and for you to share your desire to be used by the hand of God. In this opportunity, you can receive the body and the blood of Jesus that was given so sacrificially for us. Or you can conduct a little bit of introspective analysis, if you will. And you can ask yourself, am I being used by God? Am I a servant to others? Am I the type of person that's humble enough to serve others? Maybe I need to learn to be there. To be there in order to serve and be used by God. I'm going to pray. 
And during this decision time, if the Lord is leading you, you just take a step of faith out, a step of faith forward, and I assure you the Spirit of God will take care of the rest. If you need to make a decision for Lord Jesus, I'll show you what this book says about how you can be saved from the penalty of sin and how you can be assured that heaven is your home. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it's just crystal clear that we weren't created for ourselves. We weren't weren't created just to provide our own joy. Lord, we were created to glorify you. And the greatest way we can do that is by humbling ourselves enough to serve others by being there for them. Father, there's undoubtedly decisions that need to be made in a group this large. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus today that, Lord, you would do a supernatural work in each one. That, Lord, even if the decision's not public, Father, it would be real. And that, Father, you would be blessed and, Lord, people would be changed as a result of what you're going to do in their midst. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. And now we hand this decision time over to you. It's a decision for you. And, Lord, we praise you in Christ's name. And all God's people said.